God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, I thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your help, for your hope, for your healing. God, you know these prayer requests. You know the needs, God. I pray, Father, you intervene in each one. God, I pray you give help for the helpless, God, and hope to the hopeless. Lord, I pray you'd reach into the, the situations that look impossible, God, and remind us, Father, that all things are possible. Everything's just an opportunity to turn to you, God. Lord, we need your presence in this place tonight as we look here in the book of Acts, God. I pray you'd open it up. I pray you'd open our hearts, our minds. I pray you'd teach us something, God. May we learn something about you, learn something about your word. We love you, God. You've been incredibly good to us. Thank you so much for all your many countless, wonderful, undeserved blessings that you've poured out. Do you meet with us now, God? Help us to be pleasing to you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles back to Acts chapter 15, we'll continue our study. So last week we made it down here to verse 34, and I said we'll probably just go on over those next few verses and move right on to chapter 16, and I don't know why I would make such a crazy statement like I'm going to go past something. I know we've already looked at the argument um, there between Paul and Barnabas and the separation and all the things that happened there, and I thought, well, that's kind of how the chapter concludes, and since we looked ahead at it a, a month or so ago, we'll just skip that, but you can't skip one verse in the Word of God and not miss something big. You, you can't skip a word and there not be something there. And it's just, it's just kind of proof, of, you know, it's what we're doing now, reading through John a second time. Just like, man, I didn't see that. I just read this three weeks ago. And, and God continued to open and show things. Well, it's the same here. There's some things that, that I just want to look at. So verse number 34, we'll look here at the end of the chapter 15. Notwithstanding it, please Silas to abide there still. Remember, He's one of the two that came up, and there they are at Antioch. They come up to the church, and, and it says that they stayed, and Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they do. Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose sure name was Mark. Paul thought it not good to take him with him, who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Silas stayed at Antioch. He stayed there with Paul and Barnabas. You know, we looked at it some last week. I'm sure that was an exciting time for him coming out of the church at Jerusalem that had its own problems going on and had its own legalistic issues there to have come to the church at Antioch. Just full of Gentiles. It's full of people who are excited about their salvation. They've just come in to the newness of, of knowing the Lord. They're excited about their relationship. And now it's been confirmed that I don't have to be circumcised. It's just like Paul had said, it's just like Jesus said, that the grace of God is enough. And so there's, there's all this excitement, and he stays there with them. But, but here Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're working, and they're teaching in the church where they were. Remember, they were working in this church, and the Holy Spirit said, separate me out, these two men. And they sent them on the first missionary journey. They became the first missionaries as we looked at that trip. And that's the one where John Mark left. But there, there's a key phrase there. In verse number 35, Paul and Barnabas, they're there. They're continuing in the church at Antioch. These men are preachers of the gospel. They are teachers. They're probably very important men in the church. I don't know I should say important men in the church. I don't know if that's the case. They were being very used in the church. There's, not any, there's only one important in the church. His name is Jesus Christ, right? 
Um, but, but there are some people that are being used to help, to try to be a blessing to others, to shepherd the flock. And so these, these men are there. They're very purposeful. But the, the key phrase there says, with many others also. So what that tells me is the church at Antioch is pretty well blessed. There, there's a lot of Sunday school teachers in that church. There's a lot of um, people who are able to preach the gospel. There's a lot of people who are going out and, and being about the Lord's work. So there's a lot of them. There's plenty of people to continue the work there while other people out in the region have never heard the gospel. There, there's, a, there's a whole multitude of people gathered there around the church at Antioch, but you got people out in the region that still haven't heard the name of Jesus Christ. There, there's plenty of people there around the church who are hearing the same messages every week and doing the same worship together every week, but yet there, there's people out there who are on their way to hell if somebody doesn't tell them. There, there's people all around the church, people all on the outside, that somebody doesn't go out. So Paul says to Barnabas, hey, hey I got an idea. Let's, let's go back out and and preach the gospel. Let, let's go back out and check on the churches. Let's go back out and see how some of the new Christians are doing converts. Because you know by then, the world's tried to pull them back in the same way it did us, right? That they're saved, they're pulled out. Let, let's go back and do some visit. Now, Oswald Smith, he's got a book, and he talks about the need for people to go out. You know, I've talked about that a, a lot at the church. A church, we, we have this, this mentality today that churches are judged by the number of people that that come. If you have, I think it's over 1,200 something, you're considered a mega church. And, and, and you, they judge it by how many come, but that's, that's not how a church should be judged. It, I don't believe that's the way the Lord looks at a church. The Lord looks at a church by how many go out. How, how, how well is the church doing at discipling people? How well is the church doing at training people in the Word of God, taking the books, studying it, learning that, that we begin to go out and that teachers go out and that preachers go out or musicians go out and people go out from the church? So, so that's something that we see here. And, and Oswald Smith, he, he talks about how at the feet, he uses the example of when Jesus fed the multitudes, the 5,000 men plus women and children and and. The disciples, Jesus told them, have them sit down in groups of 50. And he had them sit down, and then they handed the food out. And, and he says, that's a picture of how the church ought to be. The disciples came, they, they brought, and they handed it to the front row. And those people took some and passed it along, took some and passed it along, and took some and passed it along. And that's what the church ought to be. For those of us that come here, we ought to take what the Lord gives us, that, that our cup is full, that we go out, that our cup runs over, and it gets on everybody. We ought to be carrying it out on the street. He says, but that's, that's not really the way the church works it. He says, imagine if, if the disciples took the baskets of, of the, the, the loaves and the fish, and they handed it out to those in the front row of the multitudes back there, and they ate until they were completely full, but they didn't pass anything back. So, so that front row's full, but everybody else is still hungry. So the disciples, they go back and they get another basket full of food and they bring it back and they hand it to the front row and they go, man, that stuff's good. I don't know when we're going to get to eat again. I better keep some of this. So they begin to put it in their pockets and, and others think about, man, I could, I could carry this stuff back. I could sell this stuff. It's good. And they begin to fill their bags with it and the baskets are empty. And so the disciples go and they fill it and they, they come back again and they hand it to the front row that continues to stuff their pockets. Everybody behind them is still starving. Everybody behind them still isn't getting anything. He says that that is the condition of the church. He said, 
in his book, I'm paraphrasing obviously the story, but he says, you know, we got people that, that come to church. He's referring to the church as the front row, the, the, the whole church, the body of Christ. He said, we come and as teachers or as preachers and as singers that, that we work and we all work together to try to get full. But it's like we try to stuff our pockets, but we don't pass it on. We, we stuff it in our pockets and we carry it back, but we don't pass it to a world. There's a world hurting around us that needs help. There's a world broken around us that, that needs something. There's, there's a world that's lost and on their way to hell. Somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. And then the example that he's making is in that, that we come in and we're basically the front row. We come in and we get and we keep passing out the same basket, but we're not doing a good job of taking that out onto the street. We're not doing a good job of ministering to those that are lost and on their way to hell. See, he says, imagine like the Apostle Paul here. I, I don't want to say not feeling needed, but he feels like he's needed more out there than he is here. He says, let, let's, let's go back out. Let's check on the new converts. Let's go back out and preach the gospel to the lost. Let's go out and make a difference to a lost and dying world. Let's don't just keep doing the same thing over and over and not making a difference to those around us. Listen, the purpose of the church is to be a light to a dark world. I said, the purpose of the church is to y'all sleep on Wednesday night, ain't you? I don't blame you. The purpose of the church is to be a light to a dark world. The purpose of the church is to reach out among sin. To, the, the Bible says to let your light so shine among men they may see your good works. It's not just that we come in here and get to get filled so that we can make it till Sunday, although that is a plus. I'm running on empty by Wednesday. I'll come in and get filled up and run again till Sunday. But, but it's so that, that we can take out and give to others. And to be honest, the, the Word of God is very different than anything else. It's the more you give away, the more you have. Nobody heard that. The, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, everything about it, the more you try to give to others, the more you're going to get. The more you try to be a blessing, the more you're going to be blessed. Anybody ever been on a mission trip? A small handful. You cannot go on a mission trip and not be blessed beyond measure. You, you leave here, you go to countries that have nothing, you, you drive through places that you threw away more the day before you left than they have. You will eat more while you're there probably than they'll eat in a month. And that's if you just go on a one-week trip. But because we're, we're spoiled rotten, you try to be a blessing. The reason to go is to try to share the gospel or to try to build a house or to try to build a church or refurbish a church. There's usually a work associated. And the goal is to go be a blessing to somebody. But I've never gotten on a plane coming back. I've made 30-plus trips to Costa Rica and a few to Panama. I've never got on a plane to come back that I didn't know. I got way more than I could give away. That's the truth in the Word of God. But you don't have to get on a plane and fly across the waters to be a blessing to somebody. We, we can be a blessing right here. And the more we try to be a blessing to people, the more God blesses us. It's just the way the Word of God works. So, so our, our job is members of the body of Christ, and, and certainly as members of Faith Baptist Church, we're a body, is that we're to come in and to receive from the basket. We're to come in to receive from the Word, but, but then take it back out to our workplace. 
Take it back out to our families, maybe not, not our immediate families in the house. I hope they're with you, but, but to our families that we just see on holidays or families that we see on special occasions, to, to take it back out to the grocery store, to take it back out to, to the register there, the, the dollar store where you, where you check out. We're supposed to come in and get it and, and take it back out. And the more we try to give away, the more it will increase. Somebody go ahead and say amen. Verse number 36, it says, some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, so he's, he's, got a, he's got a passion. The Holy Spirit is swelling up inside of him again. It's the Holy Spirit giving him some, some direction to, to go out. And he says, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and, and see how they do. He said, hey, man, let's just go see if we can help the Christians. We've told them about Christ. They've been saved. But, you know, there's a lot of battles they face. Let's go back out and check on them. But Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose sure name was Mark. I know we looked at it a few weeks ago when we skipped ahead to this. Paul thought it not good to take him with him because, remember, he's the one that walked out on him. He doesn't really give us the reasons why he left. I don't know if he was scared of the dangers ahead or if, if, remember, it was back when they met that sorcerer and all that happened to the sorcerer. not really sure why he left, but we do know that, that Paul's not very pleased with the fact that he left. He departed from a Pamphylia and went on with them, not, went with them, not with them to do the work. So the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one for another. Now, because we've looked at it, I won't spend a lot of time here, but, but I do want to look at it again because I believe the Lord let me see even a couple of things different. Both of these men are headstrong individuals. Both of these are probably type A personalities. We know the Apostle Paul is. Pharisee of Pharisees. He was Saul. He, everything he did, he did with all of his heart. But because of what we see in Barnabas, Barnabas has got to be the same kind of man. Barnabas is, is a leadership. He's a guy with some authority. Matter of fact, if you remember, when they were getting ready, it was a point Barnabas and Paul, when they first started out on the missionary trip, Barnabas was, was named first. It became Paul and company. So what we have is a couple of headstrong men, both, both strong in what they believe, but, but both of these men are, are true servants of God. They both have a desire to reach the lost. They both have a desire to, to minister to those in the church. They're both preachers. They're both teachers of the gospel. And here's, here's the truth. They're both filled with the same Holy Spirit. But they're both still men. And men are still men. Everybody go ahead and say amen. Both of them think they're right. Imagine that. Anybody ever met a man that thought he was right? We're always right unless our wife's around. So, so, remember they were at Jerusalem for that hearing. And when they were trying to determine things about circumcision and they had to go from Antioch to Jerusalem for the hearing. Well, if you remember, John Mark is at Jerusalem. And Barnabas is his uncle. So I'm pretty sure they probably spent a lot of time talking to him. If you're there with your kinfolk for a few days, good chance that he probably stayed at Mary's house. And that really gave an opportunity for some conversation. But I'm pretty sure Barnabas probably talked to him a good bit about the miracles that they saw. The lame man that, that got up and walked. And, and, and he told them about all the things that they saw and how God protected them, made provisions. And how they probably told him about how they came out and they stoned Paul. And, and he was dead. They carried him out. And it looked like he was dead and gone. But then Paul got up and we went on and preached. And, and how it caused the men that were being such a, a burr under the saddle to go back to where they come from and it opened the doors of ministry so that multitudes were saved. I imagine there's a lot of excitement when Barnabas is talking about, Mark, here's what you missed. 
after you left, I know what you, I know what you saw with Simon the sorcerer. I, I know what you saw there and how God worked. But man, after you left, and he's telling him all the stories. So there, there's probably, I don't know, I'm speculating. And I know Yanceology is garbage. I'm, I'm just trying to kind of look into where they were. There's probably an opportunity that they really connected. And Mark's probably really wanting to go back on this next journey. Barnabas is certainly wanting him to because he invited him to go the first time, right? We talked about that. You've got to be careful about inviting people to go into something in the ministry if the Lord don't lead you there because it can lead to that. At no point did we ever see the Holy Spirit tell him to take Mark with him. We just saw him take Mark with him. So it's important when God tells, gives you something to do, if God gives it to you to do, go do it. If God doesn't give you someone to lay someone on your heart to go with you, there's a reason for that. But that, that, was, that was all back when we looked at it. But I'm sure there was a lot of opportunity for for them to talk but I'm betting Paul didn't spend a lot of time talking with him I'm thinking based on the way the conversations going here in 36 7 and 8 I'm I'm thinking Paul's probably got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about John Mark I'm thinking Paul's got a little bit of a sore spot a little bit of rub he's not happy that a man left out in the middle of the ministry and, and walked off so he probably didn't spend a lot of time talking but I, I can kind of I can kind of imagine how that conversation might have went. I mean, Barnabas is, is trying to take Mark, and, and Paul is saying, he's not going with us. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't faithful. He wasn't faithful in the ministry. Barnabas is probably reminding Paul, do you remember when you came to Jerusalem? Nobody had nothing to do with you. You were Saul. You came to persecute the church. Jesus met you on the road to Damascus. You got changed. People didn't know that. People were scared to death of you. Nobody would stand with you, but I did, didn't I? Nobody stood beside you. Matter of fact, the apostles wouldn't come. The leaders of the church wouldn't come. You remember, I carried you to Peter. Somebody had to be there for you, and somebody needs to be there for Martin. Paul probably said, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember how you hung out with all the Gentiles and acted like you were all in good with them. But then when Peter came and the other Jews came, you, you pulled away from the Gentiles and you wouldn't be around them because you're afraid somebody would see you with them. Y'all see what I'm talking about? They, they both got a little bit of rubs. They got things in there. If you don't have anything and you want to argue, it, don't worry about it. The devil will give you all you need. The, the devil put all kind of stuff in your mind there to argue. He'll put all kind of little stuff. But, but they got some little things right here. So however that argument went, it was heated enough that these two men split ways. Well, that's kind of why I wanted to review it a little bit again tonight and not just skip over it. Because in my mind, I'm like, why? Anybody ever wonder why? I mean, it's okay, man. I... I, I know we don't, we don't want to have to say, but I appreciate if y'all wouldn't leave me being up here by myself as being the only one that ever asked God why. I'd appreciate if I wasn't the only one that just said, God, I, I don't understand that at all. Uh, wh why would you allow that? Why, why, why would you do that? What good could possibly, I mean, what am I, so if I'm looking at this text, what am I supposed to learn? That two godly men can fight and split up and go different ways? I'm in the text, God had to allow this to happen. Agreed? Nothing happens that doesn't come across the desk of God. Right? So, so God had to allow this. So, so 
The, the truth is, is it an argument? Yes. I've told you before, you got people who try to pass that off. And oh, it wasn't really an argument. I just believe the Word of God for what it says. And the Word of God says there's a lot of contention. And we shared that before about the contention. This was a very heated argument. I mean, the, these two, the neighbors was getting ready to call 911, tell them to quiet and people down over there. There's a fight about to break out over here. So, I mean, th this is a real deal argument, but between two. And so what is it I'm supposed to learn? Well, here's some things that I saw just looking at this the last couple of days. Neither one of these men needs anybody to hold their hand. You with me? Both of these men are ministry leaders. Neither one of these men needs somebody to go along and and hold on to help them along. These are spiritually strong men. They are both fully capable of heading up a ministry program themselves. They are fully capable of heading up a um, mission trip themselves, but you got two of them. So if they go together, then wherever they go, they are ministering, but what if they split up? And what if this one takes a group and goes here, and this one takes a group and goes here, then what happened? The gospel spread twice as fast, and it went to twice as many places. So does it make sense? No, it really doesn't. But I do know that God knows everything up front. God knows everything ahead of time. And if God allows something, then God has to have a purpose. And so here's what I know. Not only did they split up, and, and John Mark goes with Barnabas, and Silas goes with Paul, and you got incredible stories of both. But by the time they came back, now you got four men ready to go. So, so now you can go out, and, and it's now, remember we talked, the gospel is multiplication. It's not addition, it's multiplying. So now you've got more people prepared to go back. So every, you got to know God restored that, right? Remember, we're going to meet Timothy right here in just a minute in chapter 16. But, but when, when Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, he said in his second letter, chapter 4 and verse 11, in the letter he said, only Luke is with me. He said, take Mark, this is the same Mark, it's the same John Mark, take Mark, and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. You know what that means? God's healed all that up. God's patched all that up. Not just with Barnabas, but with John Mark. And, and Paul says that John Mark is valuable to the ministry. He's not just valuable to the ministry. He's valuable to me in the ministry. So what we see is that God allowed it, but God didn't leave it there. God allowed it to get here to double the gospel, to put things out into separate directions. But God restored and put everything back together. Verse number 41, the text says that he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And then chapter 16, he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish. So we see he's half Jew. And she believes. She is a believer of the gospel. She's a Jew. She believes in the power of God. But it says that his father was a Greek. Now, if he's a Greek, he don't follow the traditions of God. He doesn't follow the things of God. So we know that he's not circumcised. Of course, the text tells us that. So, but we, we meet this young Timothy, who is a young preacher, protege, Paul like takes him under his wings and is teaching him things, carrying him out. Because th this, this young man is sold out for the Lord. Paul sees something special there in him, but, but he's a Greek, or at least, at least he's half, and, and he's uncircumcised, so that's no big deal, right? 
It's no big deal. He's not circumcised. We, we just looked at all that. It says in verse number 2, which was well reported of the brethren which were them at Lystra and Iconium, him would Paul have go forth with him. So Paul says, man, this is an incredible young man. He goes out on this ministry trip. He's got Silas with him, and he meets Timothy. He says, wow, what a remarkable young man. Sold out for the Lord. Paul sees something in him. He can be a work. He can be a value in the ministry. But it says that he took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Wait, what? Have I got the wrong version of the Bible? Why would Paul circumcise him? I mean, did we not just cover that? Was Paul not just at Antioch when, when the naysayers, when the Judaizers, when the legalists came to Antioch and said, you have to be circumcised as part of salvation? And he got into a big argument. There again, we have an argument. But this time, it was those who opposed the Word of God trying to add things to the Word of God. And Paul said, absolutely not. That is not right. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. And circumcision is not necessary. And it became such a big argument at the church at Antioch. They said, you guys have got to go back to Jerusalem. You've got to take it for all the apostles in Jerusalem. You've got to get it for all the head of the church. And you let them decide. So we saw, we spent two weeks looking at this big hearing. They go back down. They argue their cases. Everybody talks. Peter talks. James talks. Paul talks. Barnabas talks. And it comes out, this is the decision circumcision is not necessary they sent silas back to antioch with paul and barnabas and they sent a letter that said circumcision is not necessary that's an old that is under the the abrahamic covenant that is under old testament law it's not necessary that a gentile be circumcised to be saved because we're no longer under law but we're under grace we're no longer living in the dispensation period of law. We're in the dispensation period of grace. We are now in the church age, so it's not necessary. Now, wait a minute. Paul led the charge. Paul is the one saying you don't have to be circumcised. Why in the world would Paul say we've got to circumcise him? that make sense to any of you? That, that, that seemed a little bit contradictory. You put up this big fight that a man don't have to be circumcised, but now I want to take this young man with me. But if you want to go with me, you got to be circumcised. So I spent a little time looking. Number one, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt with all my heart that everything the Apostle Paul did was guided by the Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't have a doubt in my mind about that. From the day he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, when the scales went an eyes came when the scales fell off his eyes and, and he could see. I believe from that moment forward, everything he did was guided by the Holy Spirit. I believe he sought the Lord's will. I believe he sought the Lord's direction. I believe it was the Lord. I, I know for a fact that the Holy Spirit sent him on the first mission trip because it says that the Spirit said, separate me out, Barnabas and Paul. So we know the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit gave guidance and direction, the roads that they went. And, and I believe that everything that he did was guided by the Holy Spirit, which leads me to the next question. Why did the Holy Spirit lead him to circumcise Timothy? If you just had this big debate and we just spent a couple weeks looking and proving that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient, man-made law is not necessary, neither is the Levitical law. We salvation is of Christ and Christ alone. If, if we just spend all that time, then why all of a sudden in the very, I mean, before we even get out of the same chapter, somebody's got to be circumcised for what? 
The Holy Spirit has to be done. Well, here's what I know. God can see what I can't see. God can see what we can't see. My thoughts are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts. So here's what the Holy Spirit can see. Because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and it's all God, then it is all without end. They can see the future. The Holy Spirit knows that there are going to be some people in in the future of this young man that he's going to minister to. And, And they're coming from the Jewish culture. They're coming from the legalistic culture. It wasn't legalistic at the time. It was the law of God. But now that you're over the dispensation of grace, they're bringing all that legalism over. And if he is not circumcised, they're not going to listen to him. They have an opportunity to be saved, but their hearts are hard. They're stuck on some Old Testament stuff. So the Holy Spirit has him do something to make him, I hate to say it, but more acceptable to some of the Jews. Paul helps us with that a little bit. When Paul wrote in his letter to the church at Corinth, we get get a pretty good idea as to why he, he sees it necessary here for the circumcision. When Paul is writing to Corinth, he's dealing with eating meats. And he deals specifically with eating meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. Remember, we talked about how the Gentile world was idolatry, especially the Greeks, especially the Greeks. They've got gods everywhere. God's this and God's that. We talked, they got gods for a toenail. They have all the different kind of gods and all their false gods and all the stuff that's there. And it's nothing for them to do even daily sacrifice. It's just routine, run of the mill. But to sacrifice an animal to their little wooden trinket figure and whatever. But then they take that meat and they sell it in the market. Well, that's meat that was sacrificed to an idol. No big deal to the Gentile. They've done it their whole life. They don't see anything there. But to the Jew, that's a big deal. To the Jew, that is breaking the laws of God. That's, that's breaking from, from the 613 Levitical law. I mean, that, that's an absolute, no, you, you can't have it. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 8, he says, Meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we don't are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block, To them that are weak. The Holy Spirit could see that Timothy was a man that he was going to use greatly. But if he didn't go ahead and take care of this little skin detail right now, that it was going to be a stumbling block to some, they might otherwise be saved. Verse number 13, Paul says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Wherefore, if I make my brother to offend, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Chapter 9. And Paul says in verse number 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, 
that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Here's what Paul's saying. At no point am I ever going to break the word of God. At no point is he ever going to agree to disagree with something that is ungodly. When it comes down to things that are open, shut case, you know, it comes to murder, it comes to homosexuality, it comes to things that God's very clear about in it, at no point will I agree to disagree with that. But, but when it comes to, to just some, some little stuff, he says, I, I don't want the world out there to look in and, and see the church arguing, fighting about what kind of Christian music they ought to be listening to. I, I don't want to have the world look out there and look in on the church and they're fighting about what color the carpet ought to be on the stage. I don't want the world out there to look in and be offended about whether or not you ought to wear a tie or shorts or what you ought to wear to church. Don't sweat the little stuff. Worry about, keep the main thing the main thing. Preach the gospel. So, so what Paul says is he became things to people to, to try to fit. That doesn't mean that he became like a sinner to try to reach the sinner. That doesn't let Christ be, be visualized in us. That doesn't let the world see Christ in us. But what, but what it does mean is, is that he didn't, he didn't flaunt things out. So in that, I can kind of see why the Holy Spirit, looking ahead, saw a need. Since he's going to use Timothy, and he's this young protege preacher, he does some things that, to be honest, it's somewhere down the road, I truly believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see some people that got saved through the preaching and the teaching of Timothy that might not would have had he not been circumcised because they wouldn't have listened to him. Amen? When Timothy walked in, if Timothy was going to preach, they walked out. They're not going to listen to it because they're a Jew and they're circumcised and he's not and, and, and he's half Greek. And, and so they walk out so they didn't hear what he had to say, but because they did hear him, the gospel crept in and souls were saved. So that, that's kind of what Paul is telling us. You know, the devil doesn't have to use great things to cause great problems. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The devil can take the little things in the church and blow up enough stuff to cause little riffraffs in the church that lets the world look out there and go, why would I want to be in on that? What does that have to do with by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, ye have love one for another? How are they going to see that? And, and it's not just within the church, within, within a single church, it's within churches. And I'm sure we're just as guilty as others. You know, I remember guiding and judgment journey. And, and one night, we, we used to all Revelation chapter 5. I saw on the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. And that whole Revelation chapter 5 line, we put it out. And a woman, an elderly lady... I could tell by the attire and the hair of the denomination, but I'll leave that out of it. Ask me, how could I wear that black cape and speak the Word of God? I said, ma'am, the color clothes ain't got, that I got on ain't got nothing to do with the power of God. There ain't nothing that I can put on that would dampen the Word of God or the blood of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with the color of this cape. So, so, but all that is, is that's from church from outside that want to come in. And, and it's just the devil getting little riffs just, just to put things in. A lot of people about Judgment Journey, they, they would say, well, that church, they're just trying to scare people into getting saved. Well, listen, if you ain't scared of going to hell, you ought to be. If you ain't scared of going to hell, you ain't read the same book I've read. 
You ain't read about the lake of fire and death and hell cast into the lake of fire where there's outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth and complete separation from God where the worm dieth not and pain and suffering. If you ain't scared of going to hell, something bad wrong. It was a good enough reason for me to get saved, I can tell you that. But, but Jude tells us in 22 and 23, saving some, pull, saving some by fear, pulling them even out of the fire. So if, some, if somebody got scared, listen, it wasn't a haunted house. But isn't it amazing how, how the devil can take a little something and begin to get a riff within the church? That stuff didn't come from the outside world. Stuff came from churches that said, they're just doing that stuff to make money. I'll tell you what I'll do. Well, no, I won't. I'll do judgment journey when God says to him, I won't do it any other way. But, but it, wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me to agree with them. I'll tell you what, we'll do it if you'll, if you'll foot the bill. And, and they'd have to eat some words when they realized the last time we did it cost us $198,000 to put it on. We had 14,100 people all that came that year, so we got $141,000 back. We made a whopping $141,000 and only cost us $198,000 to do it. That's good math, isn't it? That's good business. Isn't it amazing how, how the devil takes the little things? Oh, we're no different. You let a church start doing something across town, and if it don't suit the way we do it, oh, well, they ought to do this, they ought to do that. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? So, so it's really, I, I can see why the Holy Spirit may have went ahead and said, we're, we're going to circumcise young Timothy. Because when we get out here, we're going to take out all of that little stuff to start with and silence it that God could use him to do something great. Well, I'm out of time. I'm, I'm not, we're not out of Bible, but I am out of time. Um, we're going to start trying to get out along about now. All ministries are going to start, this is the goal, to start letting out at 805. I know some of you got children down here, and they were getting out at 805, and over here is getting out at 815, 818. So the goal it may be a little hard. This is the first night is to start letting all ministries out at 805, which means we need to be out by around about 8 so you can make that way to get them and start letting them go. Um, we're just trying to do it. I know it doesn't seem like it, but we really try to be respectful of people's time. We, we know you've got to get up and go to work in the morning, and all those leaders have got to get up and go to work in the morning, but it's just so good to, to get together and fellowship and learn some things in the Word of God. I appreciate you being here. Um, I know we got... 50-something down there working that don't get to be in here tonight. They, they're out there working. So um, let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for this word. Thank you for writing us a love letter to help us understand some things. Thank you that your Holy Spirit, who authored this book, will meet with us if we just sit down and, and seek your word. And you'll teach us and help us understand some things. That everything has a purpose and you'll guide us and give us direction, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the love. Thank you for the unity. Thank you for binding us together in one accord, Father. I pray you'd help us to go out of this place, Father, to, to be pleasing to you in all that we do, God. I pray you'd help us to love one another according to your word. I pray you'd help us to love a, a lost and dark world, God not the sin, but the sinner. I pray you'd help us, God, to reach out, Lord. I pray you'd help us to win LaGrange, Georgia, one soul at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.